Welcome to Trivially Crucial, where we believe every pirate mutiny, father-son reunion, adorable baby tree, and found family of misfits is important and critical to our lives, no matter how unimportant a story may seem. I'm Mandy. And I'm Michael. And today we're talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. We already know where we stand on the first one because we did podcast about I that, right? I don't actually remember if we podcasted about it or not. Well, if we did, I will uh, link to it. Um, I, I really don't remember if we did or not. I feel like we would have if we had had the, the time, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. If we did, it's in the show notes. If we didn't, it's not in the show notes. So I guess not knowing whether we did or not, uh, what are your feelings about the first one high level and what did that affect about your expectations for this one? Uh, so the first one I liked a lot up front because it was, or I, what I remember of my feelings were that I liked it a lot up front because it was different from all the other ones. Um, more, more lighthearted, obviously much funnier than the other uh, various superheroes, superhero movies that we'd had. Uh, it was just a different take on the genre, or I guess a new type of movie in the... I guess superhero isn't really a genre anymore, is it? It's uh, just like a weird classification thing. But uh, I liked it initially, and then I've liked it more since rewatching it several times. So the more time removed since its initial showing in the theater, the more I like it. Uh, it, is, it was definitely flawed, I think, especially with regards to Gamora. But, like, lots of promise there, and I wanted to revisit it a second time. So, going into this movie, I really just wanted the exact same thing, honestly. Like, I, I just didn't want them to escalate it too much, because there was the, you know, everything in this universe has got needed to get escalated. But they already started so high level with them doing some weird thing with a... Uh, with an infinity gem, I didn't want this to feel like it necessarily had to get significantly huger, um, because the infinity stuff's supposed to come to a head later. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I I didn't have any particular things. Oh, and also, I definitely wanted lots of baby Groot. <laughs> the most important thing. I, I honestly, that was probably the most important thing for me was if they just made baby Groot really funny in this, I probably would have been satisfied, even if the rest of the movie didn't hang together. So, yeah. Uh, how about you? Uh, so, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 is one of the movies I went into, well, probably the first movie I went into knowing more about the comics than, like, anyone else. Because <laughs> uh, I was actually reading the Guardians of the Galaxy, um, which they had, uh, you know, the Marvel Now had started back up, like, a year before that. Uh, so, I was already a fan of all of the characters, um, and so, uh, I'm also a huge fan of cosmic Marvel in general. Uh, I'm a huge Nova fan. So, uh, the fact that the Nova Corps were in that movie was a plus for me, though I would argue that they're more than just space cops. But, uh, uh, so I, I really liked the first movie. I definitely thought it was more flawed than most people who were talking about did and didn't it. I, I, I think it's a good Marvel movie and it's high up there on the list of better Marvel movies, but I don't think it's the best Marvel movie. And I know a lot of people who would disagree with me on that statement. Uh, so I, I think there's a lot of just storytelling flaws in the first one, uh, especially in the first 20 minutes. It's very jumpy uh, and doesn't really ground the viewer very well uh, and just tries to cram a lot of information and actually, uh, that's something this movie actually does a lot better, but we'll talk about that later. Um, 
so I guess I really wanted to see those failings improved upon in the second movie. Uh, you know, I was looking for a, we already know these characters. You've already introduced us to this universe, so you don't have to cram as much information down our throats so you can tell a better, tighter story. The gang has already come together, so it's not about how the gang gets together now. It's the gang is together. Uh, so I was really looking forward to that kind of story. Um, and of course, you got to look forward to the music and uh, Baby Groot. Uh, so, <laughs> and I was definitely looking forward to more Gamora and Nebula because that was something we were promised after Volume 1 uh, was that they would do more. Because, once again, one of the failings of the first one is that they just really failed Nebula in general in the first movie uh, from a like storytelling and even Gamora to a certain extent motivation. I, mean, Neb- I feel like Nebula was basically a non character in the first one. Agreed. She was just there to try to kill them. Yeah. With like no reason other than daddy told me to do it. And now suddenly I'm mad at daddy. Like, you know, I, it, so I was really expecting that to be improved upon in this movie. I was hoping for some Nova more in this movie, but they didn't even visit Xandar. Uh, so, you they know, mentioned it. They did mention it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I wouldn't say I had outrageous hopes for this movie because I, I don't even think Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 comes even close to touching like the Winter Soldier in, in terms of like cinematic masterpiece. Um, but so um, but I thought the first movie was really fun. Uh, and so I just was really expecting more fun out of this movie. So go, connecting to some things you said there, because you highlighted, you know, more criticisms of the first one. And I will say that I... I agree with pretty much every criticism I hear, not every criticism, but many of the criticisms that I hear widely about the first one. I just found that I didn't care that much about them, um, partially because of how enjoyable, like how fun the movie was. And that's going to come up a lot in our conversation here. Like we will talk about criticisms that I will share, but a lot of things I'll probably call out and, and basically also call out the fact that but I'm happy to give it a pass because of whatever elements I like. I, I guess for me in the first one, there's some unforgivable things that uh, specifically the first 20 minutes of the movie, anything that is before the jail escape is just jumpy, very like, let me cram this information down your throat to a level that it actually threw me out of the movie every time I watch it, that I'm just like, okay, let me just fast forward to the good part. Cause this is just the let's shove information <laughs> down your throat section. Um, uh, you know, my, minus, I guess, the first five minutes, right? That the there's like this window between uh, Quill dancing on the planet in the opening credits to like the um, the escape on the planet where it's just information, information, information uh, and uh, not done in a well way, I think. Uh, but after that, once they start escaping from the prison, I, I'm, I'm sold like the rest yeah. of that movie I'm in. I, I'm there, like, uh, you know, even some of the criticisms other people have, I'm like, I don't agree with that at all. Like, I completely understand what Ronan is doing. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah. Um, so, once again, since this movie didn't have to ground us in the world, we already knew about galactic, cosmic kind of marvel, right? So they weren't, like, trying to make sure the viewer could take this leap into space with them. Uh, I think that gave this movie a little more freedom. Uh, and we can talk about whether they they took that freedom or not. <laughs> so I think we should start with uh, combining two of the things that you mentioned uh, in that 
you know that that you've already touched on, which is the music and the opening scene to the first movie, and just take that straight into the opening scene of this movie <laughs> because <laughs> well, to be fair, the open the opening scenes of both movies are flashbacks, right? Right. So, and then there's the dance scenes. <laughs> okay, well, why don't you talk about the flashback first, and then we'll go into the actual dance scenes that are the fun parts. All right, so the opening scene of the first movie, which is actually important, which is why I bring it up, is uh, Peter Quill's mom's death, and then him getting kidnapped by aliens, which is the premise of the whole thing. So his mom dies of cancer, and he gets kidnapped by this guy named Yondu. So they assume everybody already knows that going in, which, thank goodness. Um, the second movie actually starts before that, and it starts with the woman we know as Peter Quill's mom. I, I, I assume every viewer knew it was Peter Quill's mom, uh, even though now she has, like, you know, hair because she hasn't been exposed to chemotherapy. She doesn't have cancer yet. Um, but even if they didn't, you can put two and two together pretty quickly, I feel like. Right. And she's, you know, scooter pooting around town with uh, a young Kurt Russell. Uh, which to me, as soon as they showed the two of them together, I was like, oh, I don't know who Kurt Russell's character is yet, but Kurt Russell is Peter Quill's dad. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, and uh, he, they're like on a date, driving around in their you know, convertible, listening to music, and he takes her out into the forest and like plants a weird plant. And that's, that's just kind of how it starts. And so you, you get from that this idea that whoever this dude is, he's Peter Quill's dad. We don't know what this plant is. It seems like a kind of small, harmless plant. He has some, like, plan, obviously, in relation to the plant. Uh, but we don't know if that's good for Earth or bad for Earth. We literally have no idea. Um, and there's also the thing where it's like, hey, these two are clearly into each other. Yes. Yes. Right? He's not using her. He's in love with her. It's very, like, right. it's clear. Um, Which is very important for some story beats later. Yes. Uh, so then... Uh, the next scene, you know, fast forwards us to modern day in space uh, and basically a, uh, a space battle where the Guardians are protecting these batteries from this weird alien thing, alien monster. And uh, meanwhile, uh, Baby Groot is dancing. So the whole battle is actually unfocused in the background of Baby Groot dancing, which, of course, directly calls back to the first movie of Peter Quill dancing through the alien planet on his way to get the orb. So uh, yep. they both movies open with the exact same formula, which is a flashback um, and then uh, a dance scene. Is, uh, is this the scene where the line where, um, where, uh, who is it that, who, who was it who was insisting that the, the music was important and then Peter was like, no, no, I agree. This is really not that important. Was that, Oh, that yes, this? that's this. So yeah. Rocket's setting up the speakers. Right. Okay. Uh, and everybody's like, why are you working on that? We're about to get attacked any moment. He's like, because the music is important to Quill. And, you know, and Peter's like, it's not that important. He's like, I agree with Drax, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, I actually, I mean, to, to speak to that moment a little bit, I, I think it shows that Rocket cares, right? right. And his, his methods of reaching out and connecting with the people around him just kind of don't work he, he's true yeah yeah I, I also take it as a little bit of a as much of this movie does but it's a little bit of the fourth wall breaking thing where it's like well yeah music isn't really important to a big battle like this except it is <laughs> <laughs> like like it really it wouldn't be guardians of the galaxy without this music right uh so uh 
Yeah, it's pretty great how they've just made us expect old music with this. I mean, to the point where uh, even in the animated show, which I have not seen any of, from what I understand, they have their own custom like music mixes for those too, right? I, I have not seen the animated show. All I know about it is that Will Friedle plays Star-Lord. <laughs> I, I recall hearing something to the degree of like where, you know, these are awesome mixes, right? Uh, they have some other word, like some other superlative mix for the, an- <laughs> for the animated show. Uh, which is just a pretty funny little thing because that is that's an MCU thing, right? I mean, I don't, as far as I'm aware, that's not from the comics. Not that I know well, basically the, anything about the Guardians from the comics. Uh, the 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 cartoons on uh, so like Ultimate Spider-Man and uh, the Guardians cartoons all take very heavy pages from uh, the MCU, um, right? Which makes total sense because these are like the most prominent. This is where most people now know these characters from. Right. I, I all I know about the Guardians is the one episode of Ultimate Spider-Man they intersected with. Um, so it's not very much uh, in in the show that is because uh, that that's actually a really good Nova episode, and we all know I love Nova. Uh, where it's a really great episode. It's just hilarious, and I almost think it's a good episode on its own because it just kind of yeah, it's funny. It, it kind of highlights uh, Spider-Man's self-centeredness a little bit because he's like to Nova, he's like, "You have a whole separate team," and Nova's like, "Yes, I've talked about this many times." <laughs> But um, anyway, uh, so what do you think about this opening dance fight? Uh, uh, just visuals and what it tells us about the characters. Uh, I, I think it's great because obviously we see this team working together who still don't quite get each other. Um, they, I, I mean, it's terribly entertaining. It's a great way to get the audience paying attention. Uh, it's a great way to, I mean, obviously it threw in that, hey, Baby Groot is actually a real part of this movie. Uh, because I love Baby Groot, and everybody else does too. I would watch two hours of Baby Groot get dancing. I really would. I I really want, after this movie, like, you know, we get the home version, I expect somebody to make a supercut of just the Baby Groot scenes. And <laughs> I'll, I would gladly just watch that on repeat. Um, but he, uh, so, I, no, I really, I did enjoy the dancing. I like that it kept things out of focus, because... The battle is not really important. Like, none of the battles that these characters do are really that important uh, in terms of, like, the battles themselves. Like, that's not the point, right? It's, it's a planet we don't care about on a job they're being paid to do. Right, exactly. So it's much more about how the characters are connecting. So when it does start paying attention to things is when, you know, you get to the point where it's like, okay, this thing is basically in, you know, as far as we can tell, it's indestructible. And, um, and you get, like, uh, what's the line where Drax... He, he decides to let himself get swallowed, to cut yes. it from the inside, and, and the rest of them start arguing. He's like, I already know this. Like, we all know this is ridiculous and stupid. And, like, none of us think this is a good idea for him to have done. Well, and, um, it, and it kind of points to the flaws of a lot of other movies have, where if something's impenetrable, it, it kind of pokes fun at the Avengers, right? Where Iron Man right. goes into the dragon and explodes it from the inside. It's not a dragon, whatever it is, Leviathan. Um, if it's impenetrable from the outside, it's impenetrable from the inside. Yeah, like you're not going to break out of it. Maybe maybe you can hurt a part on the inside, but right. you're not going to like break out of it. Through you know, it its impenetrable skin. <laughs> right. Like it's like you might be able to do some damage on the inside, but you're still going to have to crawl out that mouth. <laughs> yep. You know? Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't make much sense at all. And it's, it's really funny. Uh, there's also the part where Peter gets really defensive initially. Um, about the fact that he's like, well, I thought I use the guns and you use swords, right? Uh, and it's just a fun little, because they're all figuring out their roles on this team. 
Um, and especially these two, Peter and Gamora, because they've got a thing that's unspoken between I, them. I don't like the thing. <laughs> but I, uh. I don't care for it. I, I mean, I probably care for it more in this movie than in the first one. I didn't buy it at all in the first one. And this one, I like it more just because of how, I guess because of the fact that Peter keeps calling out the trope. And just keeps calling it out over and over again. So it's sort of that fourth wall breaking that makes me start to buy it. Because it's just, I don't know. I start to root for it because it's funny. Um, which is not a great reason to root for it. I'll admit. But that's, that's how it worked in my head. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so in this scene, I also really liked how people would stop fighting to take care of Baby Groot. Uh, yes. Like, he gets a bug in his mouth and Rocket stops fighting to make him spit it out. Or like Gamora's like, you need to go back over there. You're going to get killed. Uh, and how they just all stop whatever they're doing to like co-parent baby Groot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that was a uh, really cute. Um, and that's a thread that falls in through the entire movie. Like they're all just parenting Groot together. Like yes. little, little things. And there are definitely times where the movement seemed a little bit off. And again, Baby Groot, Groot and Baby Groot, like as a whole, my favorite character in the entire MCU. And, uh, and it's just like, so it's not a real criticism, but every once in a while I would notice is like, you can tell that person's not actually holding anything <laughs> when they, when they're like trying to move to move Baby Groot onto the, like their shoulder or something like that. Uh, but it's just really fun the way they do it. And I'm not big on 3D, but I did see this movie in 3D because that's the showtime that worked. Uh, this opening scene was amazing in 3D. We saw so, it in 2D, so, so I can't yeah. speak to that. Um, but yeah, so in the end, they win this fight, right? Uh, right. Not because of Drax, though he claims the victory. Right. Uh, and uh, they had done this job for this group of people called the Sovereign. And right. they were supposed to be protecting these batteries. And, uh, you know, instead of protecting them, Rocket just steals a couple so as they're uh which he uh shows drax i think it is um but their actual reward is supposed to be nebula uh who they're holding prisoner um and uh gomora says she's going to take her back to xandar to face punishment uh which is of course the nova planet from the first movie and uh so they leave the planet but rocket stole these precious batteries these weird golden alien people have um so that are apparently really valuable yes so they send a fleet of drones after uh the guardians so uh i really liked how the fleet of drones behaved like they were like gamers it was clearly a joke and poking fun and uh you know you have the the one guy who's left and everybody's cheering for him and then of course as soon as he loses he sucks and he's the worst yeah um real commentary I, on gamer culture there yeah. <laughs> um, I uh, I also liked that Rocket stole the thing. Like, I feel like that's very in Rocket's character and that everybody else was exasperated and didn't understand. Um, I, I'm still not sure. We'll, we'll talk about this at the end. That thread, I really buy how the thread played out by the end. Uh, but I think at the beginning of this movie, it's definitely like Rocket is still somewhat of a scavenger, right? And he's going to take what he can get and uh, use it to his purposes, whether everybody else approves or not, uh, which, you know, is kind of like there there is no leader of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. Peter might think he's the leader, but to a certain extent, Rocket does what he wants and he's there because Groot's there uh, and Gamora is there because 
she wants to be, but she could leave and be fine. I mean, they're all loners, right? Like, none of them is really a team player, um, except for Groot. I I would say Drax is a team player. It's just he's used to a very different kind of team. (laughs) Okay. He had a family, you know, he he was associated with a unit. It's just that he's uh, kind of alien. Right. But he so. still totally just goes off and does his own thing without really talking to people all the time. Like he's just like, well, I did this because it was the obvious thing for me to do. Yeah. Uh, so like they don't they don't look to other to each other for uh, agreement before they just just go off and do a thing. Right. Um, so. Right. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. Um, so th- this scene was really good at reestablishing that relationship. It's like, hey. Yes, they've been with with each other for a while, and they clearly know each other well, but they still don't really work as a team. <laughs> like they kind of do, but also don't. Uh, which is, I guess, how they're always going to be: is they kind of do, but also don't. You know? Yeah, yeah. They're so. they're truly misfits. They're not like they don't even fit with each other. Right. <laughs> uh, they they just make it work. Uh, the only thing that I, I really kind of questioned in this whole sequence was uh, Gamora's behavior towards nebula like i was kind of shocked that when gamora got nebula it's not because gamora wanted nebula to rehabilitate her it's because gamora wanted nebula to turn her into the cops (laughs) uh i was like oh that's interesting uh because i feel like in the first movie gamora was trying to reach nebula um so it's kind of like she gave up after the events of the last movie and i uh Maybe maybe that's just part of Gamora's character. She gives up too soon. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, it's a little headcanon. I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, because, you know, Captain America would never give up. But she's not <laughs> Captain America, right? And, that, and that's fine. Uh, I just, there were a couple of times in the first movie where she tried to reach Nebula, where she seemed to uh, care. And, and it just seems a little unforgiving that because Nebula didn't wise up at the same rate you did, now you're gonna like turn her over i i don't know it, it just seems strange uh because and, and you could say well it's just gamora's justice but if that's the, the situation gamora should be turning herself in to planets she committed crimes on like drax's people right like uh so if gamora like gamora's not paying for her crimes so why does it matter if nebula pays for her crimes uh right uh, so I, I just thought that was strange uh, that they that she had given up on Gamora. And, you know, who knows how many years ha- are between Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2. Heck, apparently Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is taking place in 2014 and not 2017. So right. who who would have thought? Um, uh, so we, we don't know what went on in the meantime or what happened. I just thought that that was a weird baseline to start with for Gamora and Nebula. And it wasn't even like Gamora gave Nebula options. Like, you can, you can stay with us and I'll rehabil- rehabilitate you, or we'll take you back to Xandar where you'll pay for your crimes. And Nebula being stubborn was like, just take me back to Xandar. Right? That I would have bought. But instead, Nebula- Gamora's just like, nope, I'm taking you to jail. Yep. <laughs> uh, so I thought that was interesting. I agree. Um, hmm. So, uh... Yeah, I, I guess going from that scene, though, the... Uh, oh, yeah, so they're running away from the drones, right? And when they're they're losing, they, like, the... Uh, our our team were actually... They were winning for a while, they thought, and then they, like, go through 
is it a wormhole or through an asteroid field or whatever? And then they found that the, uh, the drones just went around. Right, right. <laughs> so it hit them off. It's an asteroid field of some sort, but I feel like it's like a minefield. It's, it's strange. Yeah. Uh, but in the end, uh, they get saved by some mysterious figure who it's very, very clear to us is, uh, is Quill's dad. Right? Right. Like, right. There was no question in my mind. Yeah. Um, it's like, oh, look, it's, it's Peter Quill's dad. Because like, we already know from the first movie that his dad is someone special. Then there's this opening scene. And it's like, okay, he's not from, from Earth. Like, there's only one thing this could be, and it's got to be Peter's dad. So. Right, and, and the other thing I thought was, oh, it's Peter's dad on the Heart of Gold, because his, like, round white ship totally made me think of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> but no, he does not have a improbability drive, sadly. Uh, so, and it's funny, because only Rocket sees him, right? And he's like, we were saved by a small man, because apparently Rocket doesn't understand perspective. Uh, and everybody Wait, else was it Rocket like, or Drax who said it was a small man? It, it was Rocket, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Uh, and uh, they don't believe him. And then they end up crash landing on a planet. Um, and then uh, the, the weird guy follows them and uh, introduces himself and says he's Peter's father. And his name is Ego, which uh, if that's not a sign someone's evil, I, I don't know what is. Uh, that their name is Ego. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, I, it, it's, a, it's a, a bit on the nose. And I know that, or I understand that, and I could be wrong, is that Ego is historically a, a disconnected character, and so they're, or a planet, and so they're combining things. Yeah, Peter's um, dad is a different universe. character. So I always knew Peter's dad was going to be evil, because in the comics he was evil, and I don't see why there'd be any reason why they'd go a different way. I knew they were changing who his father was, but if they made his father a truly good guy then the end result would be Peter goes to live with his father. Right. And, and that's, that's clearly not where this movie's going. <laughs> um, well, I mean, unless he dies. Right? I suppose he could die and sacrifice himself. But, uh, but yeah, well, so I didn't know, because I know pretty much nothing about the Guardians. Um, so I didn't know he would be a bad guy, except that he's named Ego, and so clearly he is a bad guy. <laughs> uh, because, like, like you said, it's not really a subtle point. Um, but I appreciated how much time they spent establishing pretty early on, like some some sense of trust there. Like, hey, he really does love his son in some way, or he really at least loved Peter's mom, right? Right. Um, and so, like, there's a lot of that stuff that goes on. Although, you know, we're jumping ahead, so we'll have to jump back in a second. But, um. But, like, they do a lot to establish that, like, hey, you know, okay, maybe he does deserve a shot at this father, this fatherhood thing and whatnot. And then it's very clear that he just doesn't understand other people because of his nature, right? Like, it's like, yeah, there's no way this person would come around this quickly. Like, no one would come around that quickly, man. Come on. <laughs> but, uh, but we are jumping ahead. So before this, though, because they escape from the drones, Yondu, Yondu gets hired to capture them, right? Um, right by the uh, sovereign, the right, uh, I Aisha or whatever yes. her name is, the high priestess. Yes. Um, yeah. So, so that brings Yondu back. Obviously, he was a character from the first movie, and he's the guy who kidnapped Peter. Right. Right. So uh, that brings him and his Ravagers, who are basically space pirates, yeah, uh, back into the forefront of the story. Uh, 
So uh, there's also a strange scene uh, that I'll just go directly into uh, where Yondu is on like a he's in a brothel. Uh, yeah, and he runs into some other Ravagers, uh, their leader played by Sylvester Stallone. And this is one of my criticisms of this movie. I could not understand a single thing Sylvester Stallone said. He needs <laughs> subtitles. Like, he doesn't speak clearly. He doesn't enunciate. And, like, I had to piece together what was going on from Yondu's half of the conversation. Uh, really? Because yeah. I, I could understand him the whole time. Like, I, I didn't have any trouble with that. No, he, but... he just talks in a very garbled, non-enunciated way. Um, and it was very frustrating to me. And I also having Sylvester Stallone there at all completely pulled me out of the movie because it's not like, oh, who is this character? It's like, oh, that's Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, it's like, oh, what's Rocky doing here? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I thought it was a weird cameo for him to be in. I thought it was a weird moment because it was kind of an info dump. Uh, I'm not sure we needed to understand Ravager culture at large uh, for anything in this movie. Uh, so other than. They're trying to tell us Yondu feels guilty for uh, child trafficking, um, which could have been done in a much cleaner way without trying to introduce the idea of ravager culture, which why do pirates need a culture? I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, so I yeah, didn't it's like, like that. We're allowed to do anything except deal in children. It's like, well, that doesn't really make you that good or honorable. Like, okay, yeah, like I, I mean, yeah, I guess I'm glad you don't deal in children, but like. You're still terrible people. Like, just throwing well, that out and, there. And that's going to be one of my big criticisms of the whole movie, which we'll talk about more when we get to the end. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, uh, this is also when we're introduced to Taserface, although yes. we don't know his name yet, because he is clearly trying to instill grumblings in like, hey, Yondu's soft. We need new leadership. Right. 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 And uh, we see that the... Uh, uh, the guy whose name I, I don't know, uh, the sidekick. Craglin. Yeah, is... Uh, He's the, the, I have him written down in my notes as adorable, loyal pirate. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, in my mind, he's just Gilmore Girls guy, Kurt, um, from Gilmore Girls, but... I have still never seen that show. I, <laughs> people tell me I would like it. It's on my list of things to watch at some point, but I just haven't gotten to it. Yeah, so... Uh, He's kind of listening, but also kind of like, we shouldn't talk bad about the captain, but maybe he's also listening that Taserface has a fair point, right? That That's kind of what's raised here. Um, right. So, yeah. And that is important. That definitely is important. So. Yeah. Uh, so, meanwhile, on the planet where Peter Quill is with his dad, the, the planet they crash landed on, uh, his dad's trying to convince him to come away with him to his home planet. Uh, and, uh, Peter's not sure how he feels about it. Cause when, yes, you're finally confronted by the dad who's not been there this whole time, it's conflicting. Uh, and Gamora, more importantly, the dad who's not David Hasselhoff. That's, that's very true. Cause dad is I'd, supposed to be David Hasselhoff. That's just who he's supposed to be. I, uh, I mean, how could you not be disappointed if you wake up or you finally meet your father and he's not David Hasselhoff. Yeah, I know I'm disappointed Kurt every morning. Russell. I mean, that that's still pretty like impressive. I'm, I'm just saying like, I feel like though in this universe, Kurt Russell doesn't exist as Kurt Russell, right? Oh, that's because, probably a fair point. Cause he's ego. So, yeah. so he doesn't uh, know that his dad is uh Colonel O'Neill in the Stargate movie or the coach right. in miracle or all these other things. So, and how, what any, how many of those, 
the things None of those that he had come out. Been, but Kurt Russell yeah. was actually a teenage Disney star. So uh, if so, it's feasible Peter Quill would know who Kurt Russell is. Is what I'm saying. Uh, okay. Because uh, Kurt Russell was like a teenage heartthrob of our parents' generation. Got it. Got it. <laughs> uh, so yes, that's Mandy's Kurt Russell trivia of the day. He was the original computer who wore tennis shoes, not to be confused oh, with the Kurt Cameron that. version. So uh, I remember the original one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's actually one of the examples of a Disney actor who like made it, stayed good with Disney, and Disney still brings him back, as shown by Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Uh, so anyway, uh, Kurt Russell trivia aside. <laughs> <laughs> uh gamora talks peter into going off with ego because she i mean she's been living with peter for like who knows how long at this point and knows that he has like all these daddy issues and she has daddy issues right so she's like no you you're gonna want this chance like because they don't know he's evil uh because they don't see the writing on the wall like the rest of us but uh you know she she recognizes she's the emotional grown-up in this whole group right which is a bit of a trope as she's the only female of the group uh so she has to be mom uh so she moms peter and is like no you want to talk to your dad and if you pass up this opportunity you're going to regret it so in the end uh peter gamora and drax go off with ego and i have no idea why they took drax that just seems unnecessary uh and rocket and groot and nebula stay behind because nebula's still a prisoner uh and for some reason the rest of them are convinced that rocket alone can keep nebula prisoner on this planet Uh, i I feel like all around would taking drax with them have been more to keep him out of rocket's hair maybe Maybe, or maybe like bodyguard in case ego is like actually crazy though i feel like gamora is better at that i just feel like it's a really bad decision uh not that we can't trust Rocket to keep Nebula uh, prisoner, because Rocket's not going to be swayed by anything. But Rocket's got to be looking out for baby Groot and Nebula now. And I just yeah. feel like that that's a lot of uh, expecting Rocket to be a grown-up. It's true. Uh, one thing to highlight in this is that we have completely skipped over Mantis's introduction, and I think that is one of my criticisms, is Mantis is just not important. Yes, like, agreed. She... She plays a couple of, of small plot points, but like the movie would have lost nothing if she weren't in it. Um, and that's unfortunate because I feel like she was a good, she was an opportunity uh, that just wasn't used. But I agree. Yeah. It completely slipped my mind. She was even in the scene because she had no importance in it. Yeah. Like it, it was played for laughs. You know, there's the, the scene that we saw in the trailer for the introduction between the characters where she's like, oh, you have love, sexual love for her. And, you know, and Drax finds it very, very funny. Um, and uh, th- is this, I don't know if it's this early or not, but just, I, I mean, we can kind of kill off her entire thread in this whole thing, like, uh, because it's just not much to it. Like, I didn't find entertaining the, I didn't find super entertaining Drax calling her ugly. And then that being a, th- like, a huge thing and then later on she calls uh he calls her beautiful on the inside so i was like oh i mean it, it's i guess kind of funny haha because she's very clearly not ugly but like i don't know it's just a bit crude the only thing me. i could think of is if being ugly on his planet's not a big deal then maybe like if it's not like a huge insult on in his culture like you know you you could come from a culture 
where let's say fat and thin, those are just descriptors and one's not an insult. If you came right. from a culture like that, like, oh, no, this person's fat and that's not a judgment on them. That's just describing them like tall versus short. Short is not a judgment against you. Right. But I don't know if he came from a culture like that. I also have a I, Drax seems slightly out of character in this whole movie. Um, and just the fact that he laughs so much at Peter's pain and so many other things like that. In the first movie, I didn't really get the implication that Drax had a sense of humor. Yeah, that was a thing that I was trying to figure out. Because um, we, I think many people noticed that in the first one, if he takes everything literally, there are definitely times he doesn't. And it, so it's inconsistent in the first place in the first one. And then in this, they started using him for comedic effect, really. Uh, much more. I mean, he was already for comedic effect, but... They're using him for this. And yeah, I, I don't understand why he finds everything so funny. Um, maybe that's to illustrate that he's gotten over the loss of his family. Or maybe uh, he's trying to learn humor and he's just very clearly misunderstanding it because Peter likes to think he's funny, right? So right. the others are trying to teach him humor. But it just came across weird because I don't remember him laughing in the first movie. And the fact that he just like, the way he laughs at Peter, like, I, I don't know. That's just, I, I buy yeah. that Drax doesn't get metaphors but the fact that they made it seem like somewhat he doesn't feel empathy <laughs> like yeah exactly like everything he says it doesn't come across as doesn't come across as him meaning it as mean and maybe not mean if you actually understand that he doesn't have all the cultural connotations that other people do but he says so many things that would just be hurtful to other people that i i don't like, I, I don't find it offensive the way I would characters who would say the same thing who, like, if they had come from Earth, you know? Right. But I just don't find it helpful either. Like, it's like, I feel like there's other humor to do here that doesn't take things that all of us realize are insults, you know? Right. Um, yeah. So he's, he's very weird. And I guess that, that really is Mantis's primary point in this is to highlight some weirdness with Drax's character uh, more than anything. But, right, because, um, you know, Drax had a daughter. Yeah, he had a family. I, I, he should be a little more empathetic, even if his culture was vastly different. Uh, I, I, I don't know. It, it just struck me as, like, sh his whole character struck me as strange in this one. Um, and, and just his, why was he on the planet with them, other than to have this connection with Mantis that was, you know, somewhat making fun of her. Uh, not somewhat. It was. <laughs> Making now, at the same time, I do. There was one line from him I did like, which was pretty early when he first called her ugly. He's like, "No, but that's a good thing because then if someone loves you, you know they really they they really love you." And it's right. like, and okay, if he well, had just dropped it at that point and never mentioned she was ugly again. Like it would have been fine. Or, or the only time he had mentioned it was like at the like some somehow he said that he it came across that he did love her. And he was completely sincere before when he mentioned when he was saying that, like, she's not attractive to him. Right. But that, like, but it was just overdone, like uh, kind of. Yeah. So. So anyways. my other thing about Mantis, and this is definitely skipping ahead, but it's related to the ugly conversation. Basically, when Drax thinks Mantis is coming on to him and she says, you're not my type. So I don't know if you know this, but Mantis is gay in the comics. Uh and so I feel like this is Marvel trying to have their cake and eat it too, in that, oh, well, she said he's not her type. So clearly, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, she's gay. Uh, but if you don't want to believe she's gay, you can just be like, well, she's not his type because 
he, he's not her type because he's an alien. Yeah, right? I, I actually I had no idea and I did not read it that way at all. So right. so, um, uh, yeah. I, so it de- definitely doesn't land and I don't think they should get any credit for it. Agreed. That That's what I'm saying. I don't think Marvel should get any credit for representation uh, for that. I, I I mean, obviously, if you're connecting to Mantis, anyone listening because she's gay and you're gay, that, that's fine. I'm not saying. Yeah, like you can don't. take value out of it, but Marvel doesn't deserve the credit for it. Right, right. It, it's a very minor, minor barely there nod towards representation that I don't think Marvel deserves credit for. So right. that, that was kind of upsetting or, you know, hopefully they'll go somewhere with that and not just be like, ah, isn't this just what you wanted people? We gave you a gay character on screen, you know, when it's like, you didn't even say she was, you just right. said she's not attracted to aliens or no, not attracted to him. <laughs> yes. So that, that's it. like not even that, you know, yeah. Like, for all we know, she's just not into big, big brawny men. Like, that is who or are blue. with the way she behaved, for all we know, she's mentally, like, eight, even though she looks like a full-grown adult, so she just doesn't right. like anyone. <laughs> right? Like, because yeah. she behaves like a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if anything, their relationship comes across more like a, no, I, I was going to say, like, a father-daughter relationship, but not even that, because Drax just doesn't have the maturity of a father I would say it's, like, uncle niece relationship where yeah. it's a young and mature uncle yeah yeah that's a pretty great way to put that so sorry i i like kind of sidetracked everything by bringing up mantis because we had missed her in that but uh um but yeah so we just finished talking about how weird it was that they brought drax in the first place uh yeah and yeah so you end up with these two things where in one camp you have the um yondu capturing rocket right Right. Um, but then doesn't want to hand over Quill, which leads to the mutiny. Well, he doesn't have Quill. So. Well, uh, he said, but I think he says he, with the group, that he doesn't want to. So hand I don't, I, I really loved the Rocket taking down the Ravagers fight on the ground. It was uh, fantastic. It shows how smart Rocket is and how much he thinks ahead. But it also shows how poorly Peter, Gamora, and Drax left Rocket. Like, he was taking care of the ship and two other people. So, yes, they trust Rocket a lot, but that one person can only do so much when they're left with a baby and a prisoner. Uh, yeah. So that, that was kind of frustrating to me because I feel like one more person could have helped Rocket a lot, which is why, you know, Nebula is like trying to convince him to let her go. Right. But in the yeah. end, Yondu, uh, uh, they're, they're like on the ground. Right. And they have them all. And the mutiny starts on the planet. Uh, because, uh, yeah, because it goes back to Quill versus Rocket versus, you know, Groot versus, like, they think their captain's gotten too soft. And Taserface says something, and then the second-in-command guy seems to say something that supports that. Like, he asks a question, right? right. And that starts a mutiny. Uh, and uh, everyone's taken prisoner. <laughs> Yondu, mm-hmm. Nebula, uh, they're really abusive to Groot, and it's kind of disturbing. Uh, and Rocket. So. Uh, yeah, they'd be like, put Groot in a cage. And I just want to say, sad Groot, he's adorable, but like, obviously it's sad too. Like, uh, I, I do not support uh, animal cruelty, which is what this is, right? Like, that's exactly what they're demonstrating. cruelty? I, yeah. <laughs> yes, but um, he is a plant, but I mean, they're depicting what people would do to like, people who are mean to puppies would do if they, yes. you know, to like, and it, that, that's exactly what it's supposed to evoke, right? And, yes. But, it, but it's like, but when he is sad and like crying, like he is really cute. 
That's true. He's he's very cute. I mean, he's cute at all times. So, ah, baby Groot. Yeah, I mean, the crew's basically upset. You're right because of how Peter was favored, um, and they didn't ever make good on that job for Peter, right? Because they were supposed right. to deliver Peter to his father, um, and uh, and he just like has had so many times to take Quill down and just hasn't done it. And I mean, it's obvious. Even from the first movie, it's because Yondu views Quill, if not as a son, as a protege uh, and personal Padawan. Right. Quill uh, is his favorite. Yes. Like, that by a lot. Yes. So, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's that. Oh, and Nebula is, like, trying to convince them all that she's, you know, cool. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, they don't even begin to kind of buy it because they're not stupid. Well, yeah, they it, are in lots of ways, but... Yeah. 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 So, uh, so it's just really funny because they call her like out loud every time, you know. Uh, I, I don't remember particular lines. If we were watching the home version, there, like, I would have them. But, but there are multiple times where she says something like, "Yeah," but, and then they they like call out exactly what her intent was, and then she's like, "Okay, yeah, you got me." <laughs> <laughs> sort of. Um, but uh, so then at this point, the rocket and Yondu are like they're prisoners, and they bond. They're like, "Oh yeah, we're the same." Uh, which, you know, which is a lie. movie trope. What? I said, which is a lie, but whatever. Oh, it's totally a lie, but like, it's a movie trope that they had to Rocket throw in, I guess. Rocket is a good father, but whatever. <laughs> he takes care of Groot. And he, he always does. has, and he always will. Rocket would sacrifice himself for Groot always. Uh, and I have opinions about Yondu, but we'll save that for the end. Uh, I, I mean, you mean that Yondu is a bad person? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can save that for the end, but it doesn't have to, but... I guess you know what? We'll save no matter how end, much we say now, there will be more at the end. <laughs> what, I, what I'm saving for the end is why I think his redemption doesn't work. So, uh, spoilers, I agree. So, <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, I feel like the situation is not that Rocket and Yondu are the same. It's that Yondu is what Rocket could become if he continues down his path. Right. Uh, but they, they kind of overstate yeah. it, and they're not subtle about it at all like yeah the lesson should be don't make the mistakes i've made yes. not not we're the same and you should embrace it right 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 which is a really weird messaging that i feel like they went for um or at least maybe that's what rocket is learning and i'm afraid of that <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah because i don't necessarily trust him to learn the right lesson from this whole thing um that's <laughs> that's i mean that's fair rocket <laughs> Rocket is very smart about some things and not very smart about other things. And that's because of who he is and where he comes from. Right? Like, he didn't have parents to raise him. Yeah. Like, the message from this isn't, hey, it's okay if I keep stealing batteries and everyone should love me anyways. It's more of a, hey, they might love me if I keep stealing batteries, but maybe I should stop. <laughs> Before I drive them away. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, maybe I shouldn't test that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Anyways. anyway, there's a really, uh, we'll just finish out what's happening on the ship because there's this really yeah. cute scene where they need Groot to go get them uh, Yondu's like fin on his head that controls <laughs> his like magic whistle thing. Uh, and Groot literally has no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. And it's just so adorable. Like the things he's bringing back, Ugh. including a toe. And, then uh, he's like, and they're like, uh please tell me you have a refrigerator with toes somewhere and it's like nope definitely don't <laughs> <laughs> yep uh, and then he brings a desk and like no one wakes up and it's just like uh baby Groot 
Yeah. Oh, which ghost. leads to the fact that later on when Baby Groot is fighting alongside them, he's like, oh, he can really fight. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. Um, through this, though, this is when Kraglin comes to the rescue. Yes. Because he's like, very clearly, he's like, oh, I know what he's after. And he brings the fin. And he didn't mean to start a mutiny, right? It was an accidental mutiny. He was yeah, asking he, he a that. question. Uh, and it just spiraled out of his control. And all the other mutineers were murdered, right? They threw him out the airlock. So that's the only thing that kept him safe. Not the other mutineers, the other loyalists. Uh, so the, other, the only thing that kept him safe was uh, the fact that they thought he was on their side. Yeah. But he says, like, you know, Captain, I didn't mean to start a mutiny, or I didn't mean to mutiny. Or something like that. And, uh, and it's that line got so many laughs in the theater when I was in it because it's like, yeah, I mean, we know you didn't, but like just his delivery is great. And I don't know who this act, like, I don't actually know the name of the actor, but he's the director's brother. Oh, okay, cool. Well, he's funny. Like his delivery is <laughs> great. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so there's that whole thing. And then, uh, they, so yeah, they escape. So it's uh, Yondu, Rocket, Groot, and Kraglin who escape, and they kill literally everyone else on the ship in the process. Yeah, and uh, they give Nebula her own ship. Oh, yeah. Okay, and she li- leaves to kill Gamora. So they, they tell her that she's I guess already it's learned the where Ravagers they are. the Ravagers who let her go out and not right. Rocket. But um, yeah, they, uh, she goes after Gamora, and uh, yeah, Rocket and, and Yondu just kill everybody else. And then they go through the funny little. Uh, you know, however many 80 something, no, 500 something like hyperspace jumps or whatever. Yeah. Uh, when you're only supposed to go through like eight at a time. And I feel like this is a good example of how to introduce us to a concept in your world without like uh, over the top explaining it exposition to us. Right. Like yeah. we had no idea how their uh, faster than light travel worked. And this is a great way, like, you know, like uh, basically traveling kind of through dimensions and you know, wormholes that exist, right? Like, there's certain paths you can go, and you're not supposed to do it all at once because it'll mess you up. So, yeah, yeah so they're oh, trying to get yeah. to Ego's planet. Although, they don't really do a good job of illustrating what the consequences are, other than, like, severe discomfort. Yeah, that's true. But, but I'll take it. I'll give it to them. It was more comedic effect than anything, I feel like. Um, but I just don't understand, like, given the lack of real consequences here, like, well, so why don't people do this all the time when they're desperate to get somewhere quickly? Like, well, depending on what kind of alien you are, it might kill you. Maybe. I don't know. We can fill in the gaps. I feel like it was, like you said, introduce a concept quickly and then be funny in the process because, you know, they switch back to it and they're doing cartoon style, like eye bulges and stuff. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so meanwhile, so yeah, on Ego's planet, we learn Ego's backstory. Yep. Uh, we learn that uh, he loved Peter's mom. He wants to have this real relationship that Peter's mom was his first love and you really believe him that he's millennia old, I guess. And he's a planet. He's a plant. Yeah, he's the whole planet. But he started from this like intelligence with no mass then learned to like accumulate mass and then, you know, make an entire form an entire planet around himself and form himself in different ways. Uh, And then. Yeah, because we don't follow, like, at this point, you're like, okay, there's, like, a real potential relationship here. And he starts teaching Peter about his powers because he's also, what's the name of them? What are they? uh, What Uh, are they called? Celestial? Celestials, yeah. So, like, they're the only two Celestials, and uh, according to Ego. Right. So, so it's like, so 
Peter manages to make a ball and they play catch, which is hysterical. Well, and that's something yeah. Peter talked about earlier with Gamora, right? Is he always wanted right. to play catch with his dad. The other kids did and he didn't. So, you know, it's it's totally an over the top callback to that, right? Right. Um yeah, and uh so there's that whole thing. Mantis war- tries to warn them that uh Ego's a bad guy. Gamora has been trying to warn uh to warn Peter that something feels off. Uh and of course they get into an argument because Peter is a kid again and, and doesn't want to hear yeah. it. Yeah, he's like you're so, the one who told me to come here. It's just like, yeah. wow, are we 12? And in this case, like, if there is the kind of thing to get super emotional about, maybe it is meeting your long-lost father who also happens to be an alien and showing you how to use your alien powers. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, like I, I get it. I, I buy it. Uh, but it doesn't make it any less mature. Uh, or any more mature. Uh, but yeah, so you get this whole thing. And it, it happens pretty quickly where everything comes together and, like, everything just heads to this planet. And uh, they figure out... Th- and ego just blows his cover because yeah. it like turns out it's like oh it turns out yeah your mom was one of many attempts she's the one the only one that worked but yeah i impregnated all kinds of creatures all over the place but also the the kicker is i did fall in love with her and that's why i had to kill her and i yeah. gave her the brain cancer and it's like why would you even tell him that like why did you why did you feel the need to divulge that like he could have probably I- accepted the other stuff and I think it's because, like, he started, once he thought he got Peter on his side as a Celestial, he's like, oh, well, Peter is like me, so he gets it. He gets this big picture thing where we're big deals and other people aren't, and we can do great things, right? Right. Like, but he just doesn't understand, I'm going to use the word human- humanity, but that's not really, you know, I'm applying it to all alien species who have emotional con- connections. Is like, he doesn't get it. Like, he's been around for how long? So, like, he just doesn't get how significant this one bond can be um, to, to Peter and, and so on. So, so there's that, I think, is what they're going for, is just he doesn't really comprehend that this could be the response to this. Like, he's just blind to it. Uh, and then I also get, I'm, I, I think that the fact that, uh, I, I mean, the fact that he believes he, like, it's going to take Peter a long time to control these powers, so he's not, like, a huge threat anyways. You know, is like I can always just use him as a battery if I need to. Um, but uh, but then also, I mean, because if he were thinking about it more, the logic doesn't really necessarily hold. And I don't really care that much, but the logic doesn't necessarily hold because like, well, you could just wait for her to die naturally. Like in your lifespan, that's nothing. Right. Right. Like just you could wait live for her whole to- life with her, wait for her to die, then enact your plan. Yeah. It's like literally the blink of an eye to you or not literally. I mean, figure it out. And then he could have had mol- more children with her. And if they were all like Peter, like there's more chance that they would all have this ability and be a part of him. So, yeah, his plan was just bad. Um, And so at the same time he reveals this, Nebula shows up and is having this whole fight with Gamora. And they end up going down this deep, dark cave and discovering a whole bunch of dead skeletons of his past children that he has killed when he discovered they didn't have the power. Which we also learn is... Uh, later, that Yondu brought a lot of those kids there. Um, right. He wasn't. It wasn't just Peter. He was trafficking there. It was all of these uh, offspring, if you will. And that's actually the thing that the Ravagers apparently hold a thing against him for is it's those children specifically. Right. Not that he kidnapped Peter and kept him because I'm not sure they care about that. Right. But uh, that they had he had been, uh, uh, yeah, 
trading yeah. in children. Because initially when they say it, you're like, wait, so was he selling the kids to brothels? Like, it, it's very unclear initially. I was like, why do they care so much about Peter? Like, one kid, you kidnapped them, and now you're on the blacklist? Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It, it was a little confusing. Um, there's also some emotional stuff with Gamora and her sister here, where they finally come to terms with their real issue, which is, of course, their dad. Uh, but because... also that, yeah, he made them competitors. Uh, and Gamora always won, and Nebula got punished, like, severely physically. Basically had pieces of her taken off and replaced with metal every time she lost. And uh, Gamora only saw Nebula as a competitor, and Nebula just wanted a sister. And so mm -hmm. that all comes out, and Gamora's kind of like, oh. <laughs> yeah. So they, they kind of have a coming to terms with each other. Uh, and after that, they're kind of on the same side. I, I wish there was a little more Gamora Nebula than just this, because this is pretty much it, right? Like, Maybe that's for next time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's definitely way more than we got in the last movie, so I guess beggars can't be choosers. But uh, they could have done a little, a little more than them fighting and then having one, you know, sudden moment where they realize the truth and now we're cool. There was while I was watching this movie, I definitely had a point where I just envisioned Oprah in in my head going like, you get daddy issues and you get daddy issues. Everyone gets daddy issues. Uh, that was just a it's definitely a thing with especially these three characters who get just so much attention, um, you know, Peter and, the, and these two. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, at least Nebula is a character now where yes. she wasn't before, you know, so that's that's good. Uh, and they can potentially use her in the future. Um, Versus, say, in this one, like, the, the priestess of the Sovereign, uh, Aisha, like, she's more a prop than a character, which is, I guess, fine by me, because uh, she's not really that important. It's just more of a what, the, what they represent, which is right. just, you know. So, um, but yeah, so they have that whole coming to terms with each other, figuring things out, and then everybody's fighting against Ego, and they have to blow up the planet, right? Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, and it has uh, the scene that we already saw from the trailer of Rocket trying to explain to Groot to not murder them all with the bomb. Uh, mm -hmm. And we see Peter get to use a whole bunch of his planet powers, if you will, in some funny ways, like he does a Pac-Man and stuff. And Mantis earns her plot point of, you know, putting Ego to sleep momentarily for them to figure themselves out. Uh, and, and I'm going quickly through this because... This it's isn't the important of, stuff. It's just a lot of plot, 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 plot. Um, right. So they've got to blow up the planet, but then Ego wakes up and is trying to stop them. Uh, and he does it in various ways, right? And Drax is trying to save Mantis, and Gamora and Nebula are trying to get off, and, and Rocket's, you know, everyone's trying to wait for Groot and try to figure out what he's going to do. But in the end, it ends up like everyone else can make it to the ship, Except uh, Peter, who's holding basically uh, uh, ego down, right? Uh, right. And uh, he, they have to wait, and there will only be like a couple of minutes before the planet explodes. Uh, and in the end, uh, Yondu basically uh, saves Peter, sacrifices himself for Peter, saves Peter's life. Um, Peter realizes Yondu's his dad. Uh, they get back to the ship. Yondu's dead. They have a funeral. There's some fireworks. It's the end of the movie. That's. <laughs> <laughs> but you skipped a really, really important plot point. 
um, Peter gets given a Zune. Yes. Yeah, that's the very, <laughs> he gets given a Zune. It has 300 whole songs. Uh, Is it, was it 300? I think they said 300. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So. And it was like that, which is of course not even nowhere near the capacity of the Zune, but it's just like, he's like 300. Yeah. I'm like, pretty no sure way. my Christmas playlist alone is 300 songs. So Peter doesn't even know. Yeah. Uh, it's so. like, you know, you know, Peter, you could just dip over to Earth, go to a Best Buy. <laughs> like, <laughs> Did they have Best Buys in the 80s? I'm not no, sure. No, they didn't. <laughs> and, uh, I think Radio Shack was around yeah, back then. Yeah. Radio Shack is no longer in, around, though. I think it went out of business. Yeah, Radio but, Shack and like Circuit City or something. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, he gets a Zoom. Uh, so going back to the uh, repercussions of the plot, uh, Groot actually follows directions. So we're shown that Groot has learned and uh, remembers and does things right. So Groot has a small little story arc in this, right? Yeah. Uh, like being useless in the fight. Uh, he could be useful, but fails at his usefulness of getting them the fin. And then in the end, he's literally the only one who could do it. It's also interesting to note that Groot is useful at the end. For the same reasons Yondu claimed Peter was useful, was that he was small and could fit in places. It's true. Uh, and that's literally why Groot is useful in the end, and nobody else can do it. Because he's the only one who can get close enough to, like, the brain, right? The difference in the parallels there is, that is not the whole reason Groot w- Like, they all knew Groot when he was big. So it's not like, that's why he was Groot. around them initially. Right. Yeah. Like, and- they already love him. So. They don't need him to fight, and they don't want him to fight, you know, necessarily. But they needed him in this scenario to save them. Uh, and Groot steps up to the plate and does it. So, yep. uh, yeah, uh, there, there's some Mantis Drax stuff that just falls flat for me, because I don't really care. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't think there's really anything. The only important parts left are us to talk about why... So, I mean, I guess there's some funny things like the, the taser face name and how everybody thinks it's hysterical, uh, I think is pretty great, honestly, because it's a really stupid name. Um, yeah. But uh, and I liked the repeat gag of them calling it out. Uh, we can you and I like we we definitely need to talk about the Yondu situation and how apparently you and I like it less than everybody else does, because everyone else seems way more positive about Yondu yeah, than so, I so feel. Let's talk about that. Everyone like. Peter has this emotional moment at the end where he realizes Yondu is the man who raised him and therefore his daddy, right? And Yondu right. says, that may have been your father, but I was always your daddy, you know? And yeah. uh, the reason why it falls flat for me is because Yondu only looks good because his father is evil. Yeah, but Yondu, Yondu was a bad person. He was a bad father or bad dad. Like, he is not a good person, but he's not a good father. He doesn't he's, have redeeming factors about him, like, per, traits. Like, he doesn't have redeeming traits. Maybe he had a single redeeming action, but, like, he's not a good person. Like, that doesn't make up for things, right. you know? And I, and I just don't, other than Peter just had some very emotional moments where he had to, like, uh, you know, fight his biological father, uh, I like so yes yondu is your dad i buy that he's just a horrible dad right like and he doesn't even is he better than your biological father sure (laughs) but that's like the scale of thanos to you know ronin right right like uh is thanos a terrible father sure was nebula shacking up with ronin any better no 
Uh, like Ronan's not, he's better than Thanos, but he's not, he's still like a terrorist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I just don't, everyone else seems to think like, oh, it was so mu- moving. Yondu was always his daddy. And I'm like, yeah, he was just an awful father. But he had, sometimes he had no redemption arc. Yeah. And the only time, the only thing he did here was sacrifice himself for, for Peter. Like, not for other people. Like, no, 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 no. You do not get redemption for sacrificing yourself for one person. I Like, this is a thing that really bugs me in, like, this is, we're not talking movies now. Really, like, in general, like, people will go with political figures or other people, like, you know, well, everybody loves somebody. It's like, that does not mean they're not terrible people. Right. Like, like you, the fact that you can love a person and maybe at some point, if it comes down to it, sacrifice yourself for that one person does not mean you're not terrible yeah. like presumably like, like hitler you know, loved someone right i mean i don't actually right. know because hitler's the great example we can call out though because hitler thankfully nobody really argues that he wasn't terrible so uh <laughs> and he's like, he was terrible but if he well i mean it, we, there are still present-day nazis so i, I will but i i don't <laughs> yeah. think he had any kids but let's say he did you know he would have loved his child. He still would have been a mass murderer. Like that doesn't, and even if he had died for his child, that doesn't redeem the fact that he's a mass murderer. Right? Like, (laughs) yeah, it's like to say that, Hey, Yandu is a person who could do the right thing on rare occasion. Okay. That, that gives him a little bit more character, like that turns him into a more fleshed out character. And I appreciate that, but he's not like, it's not a redemptive story arc. He's not been redeemed. You know? Like, like he would have to do a whole lot more. He would have to, you know, he would change have to things. To connect with Peter more than just like, I'm your daddy. That's not a connection. That's a. I, and I would say more than that, too. Like, he would have to sacrifice himself for people he doesn't know. He would have to, you know, he would have to give up some massive profit or not just profit, but like, get, you know, obviously some profit, but, but also like his own well being. On him trying to redeem only his relationship with peter and not his whole self he failed at that right he yeah. didn't even try how did he redeem his relationship with peter he saved his life like he, he that's not it yeah abused him was kidnapped him from his home planet and like the people who loved and supported him basically used him as a child slave slash warrior uh and like a child soldier right uh, t- made him a criminal and then, like, as soon as Peter, you know, left the group in Guardians of the Galaxy 1, he's, like, talking about how he basically wants to kill him, right? Yeah. Like, this... <laughs> so, Indian, redemption doesn't come from doing something good. Redemption comes from acknowledging your fault, apologizing for it, and attempting to correct on that fault, right? Like, and then maybe something else, some extra other... but. There was none of that. Yeah, and right? we can say Peter granted him forgiveness because of this action, yeah. and that's fine. But being forgiven is different from being redeemed. Yes, but like doing something like being redeemed. Like I can forgive Especially someone. Being redeemed narratively. Right. Like as a person, I can redeem somebody who punches me in the face the second they do it. That doesn't Forgive mean they're they, they, yeah. huh? like they've redeemed themselves for yeah. it, right? Yeah. Like forgiveness is on the part of the person who was wrong, not on the part of the person who uh, uh, on the par- person who did the wrong. So. Yeah, like, absolutely. I think Peter, for his own sake, should forgive Yondu for the various things, but I don't think that means Yondu was redeemed, right? Like, yeah, it, it's a... So, I it, that has been one thing. I So, I like this movie. I really do. Like, I enjoyed it. There's plenty that it does well. 
it was fun. I laughed a lot. But one thing that it like in reading like brief just on Twitter, like people's reactions or hearing people talk about it, people really liked Yondu's arc. And I am sorry, he's not a compelling like no like I still don't a- even understand why the other Ravagers forgave him. I think it's the same thing. It's like the somehow this well, granted, Ravagers have a, a super messed up morality, character. right? Like there's no real morality to their code aside from you don't deal in children, but they're messed up people anyways. So I guess for them dealt with children. Right. And so my guess is that like, Hey, he stopped when he realized what was happening and he just saved the life years later of that last kid who he had, who he like quit on a job for specifically because he realized how bad it was. So like maybe they got some insight into that and that qualified their code. And for me, because I think the whole Ravager code is stupid in the first place, yeah. I buy them being satisfied by it, right? Like, I just, it just I, and, and, and the whole over-the-top, like, acknowledgement of his death as if this is Spock's funeral or something, I'm just like, no. Like, he's not a hero. He's not a hero. <laughs> he's not a good guy. He did one good thing. Yeah. I mean, and in the end, his entire crew died, and it, it's all his, his fault, right? Yes. Like, yes. <laughs> so... Uh, like it's all his fault and it wasn't for any kind of noble cause like you know it's like no there's there's not really much to him in terms of positives yeah so so that kind of left a sour taste in my mouth coming out of the movie but then i was like surely everyone else sees this too and is gonna have the same criticism but no no everyone else seems to be you're the only other person i've heard who said this this is great i this is uh, this is one of many reasons why i love you as a friend you know and maybe it's because (laughs) i actually know people who are abused by parents you know like I do too, actually. Um, so, I, so I tend to be very these, sensitive on others' behalf for this. Yeah, so, so maybe these other people don't. And so they're just like, well, he wasn't evil. Or, or maybe they, yeah. Or maybe it's that one scene of Yondu teaching young Peter how to shoot. I, I, I don't know. But you I know, would ar- you honestly argue that. Fathers have good moments too, right? I would, I would honestly argue, Net, that Yondu was evil. Like, I wouldn't even say that he was like, middle like that he's on the evil side with hints of good yeah like i I guess my thing is like people i know with abusive fathers still have happy memories of their fathers right absolutely there's always that moment when he's not drinking or whatever right when oh but he's like it's the same reason why women stay i mean not that kids have any choice but to stay with their fathers right like right uh but it's the same reason why a lot of women don't leave abusive spouses right because they're like they're living for those moments when they see the good in them Right. Uh, so I buy that Peter at that emotional moment sees the good in Yondu because there would have been happy moments. And, and if anything, the absolutely horrible moments would have highlighted the happier moments probably even more. Right. Because it's such a stark relief. But that doesn't mean Yondu wasn't a horrible father. Right. <laughs> like, or I want to be very person. clear. He was a horrible person. He was a horrible father. And one act does not redeem him of those things. He would have had to have gone to great lengths over a long period of time to be redeemed for what he did to Peter, not to mention what he did to all those other children he basically murdered. So really, he's no more hes no more good than Ego. He was complicit to everything Ego did. So I just don't, I just don't buy it at all. Yeah, I, I mean, that's the thing, is in the end, the, the highest emotional point in this movie falls not just flat to me, it falls wrong. Like, it's, it, it's like It falls. It, it is false. It's like, no, no, no. You are celebrating someone who should not be celebrated. You're celebrating a villain. Yes. He's that's not exactly just it. someone who is 
has bad moments who can become good like rocket right like i rocket i don't think has done anything truly evil he's done bad things right and even if even if rocket up to this point has done something truly evil he has time to turn it around Right. But Yandu has now died and didn't turn it around. His love and his treatment of Groot, whether as an adult or as a baby, says something about Rocket as a character, right? Yeah, because it's a genuine, like, he genuinely treats Groot in the way that you should, like, I mean, he's not perfect, but like, you know, he definitely does treat him in loving ways. Like, he does not abuse Groot, right? He definitely actually takes care of him, and it's not in the... It's not in the, like, abusive father, well, I put a roof on your head kind of way. It's like a, no, I want you to be okay kind of way, you know? Which is totally and how Yondu was. He was like, I didn't eat you. Yeah, exactly. It was just, it, that's exactly it. Like, wow, yeah. Yondu is just completely an abusive father in all the, all the stereotypical ways. And any justification otherwise is the justification that people make for their abusers. Like, you know, that's, you, you nailed it on that. So um yeah it just disturbs me like the messaging of that really disturbs me and like i don't know i feel like it's apologizing for abusers yeah um no it is and we probably should like because we got real dark and heavy (laughs) on that uh and i think that uh, you know maybe we should start seeing if people have written things up on this but i don't feel like i've seen anybody with this take yet i have not um so I mean, I'm not uh, saying they're not out there, because I'm sure they are, but it, it was just really disturbing to me, so there's, there's that. I mean, Ego was evil, but Yondu was barely better, if at all, uh, so uh, it, it's just, Peter yeah. at the end should be sad, because he had two fathers, and they were both awful. Yeah. I mean, if anything, this should amplify his daddy issues. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know? Uh, um, so, uh, yeah. Yandu aside, um, what's the aftermath of all this stuff? Uh, some post-credit scenes, I guess. Uh, yeah. uh, well, Nebula leaves. Then her and Gamora are cool now, but Nebula's basically realized that, oh, actually, all my issues are with Dad. Maybe I should just murder Dad. So that's what Nebula. Which yeah, she probably should. Honestly, <laughs> but let's, let's be honest. That that would not be harmful to the state of the galaxy it would be helpful yeah, uh, I, I support you nebula i promise i don't think you should it's probably gonna i don't think it's gonna be good for you to do it but you know if you want to try go for it i guess i i don't think she'll be able to do it alone but it no. makes me think she's gonna come back Our, in infinity war or whatever i was gonna say like do you suspect that this plot point is gonna come up later in this uh, large sprawling uh, film universe because uh, yes <laughs> yeah i don't think thanos is important at all i have not, not no, in the slightest. Um, yeah, there's the funeral for the Ravager for Yondu, and the Ravagers like show up and accept Yondu back. So now he's accepted into like Ravager Heaven. I, I don't know. It's very confusing. Um, and then there's some post uh, credit scenes. Well, mid credits, I guess. There's a yeah. uh, Kraglin uh, using Yondu's uh, arrow thing. There, which is hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> and dangerous like, yeah like that I, we i i was try i couldn't breathe i was laughing so hard um just like you know he gets drag and drax is just like moaning in pain yeah for an extended period of time <laughs> oh yeah um then we have the weird ravager scene with um uh sylvester stallone which i from what i understand that's something about 
some original, some old Marvel team that I know nothing about. It's and the original those Guardians are. of the Galaxy, because uh, they oh. were a completely different group originally. They were a group of heroes from the future. It's very confusing. They just have the same name. Uh, and they're su- supposed to kind of be that, but it's not clear at all. It's kind of an Easter egg. And personally, I hope it doesn't go anywhere. Because uh, I don't want to see more Sylvester Sloan. That's I just don't need that in my life. I, I just don't find their group compelling because they're Ravagers who have no compelling moral anything. Right. The so. only compelling Ravager at all is Kraglin. Yeah. The rest of them, I mean, when it comes down to it, they are chaotic evil, right? Yes. Like, I don't, I don't want more chaotic evil in their form in, the, in this universe. We've got enough of that going on. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, we get the scene of Teenage Groot. Which is great. <laughs> <laughs> Why is there a limb here? Clean it up. Oh, I just, yeah, I love it. Um, and it's totally like, I, I know that this doesn't work, but in my head, Groot has like an emo like haircut of, over his face. You know, I think he does actually the way like the leaves come down and stuff. So, okay, I don't think that's just in your head. Okay, cool. (laughs) That's great. Um, Then, yeah, we have the creation of Adam, which I suppose will be a story point. Yeah, my understanding is that's pointing to Adam Warlock, who's kind of important to the Infinity War storyline. But I don't know how they're going to tie that in because I don't think he was supposed to be created by the Sovereign. So, but there's uh, lots of stuff that they buck. You know yeah. what actually so happened. The it, ego was not the same. So right. So it'll be interesting to see what they do uh, with that. Um, so yeah, and then um, we get the Watchers. The Watchers with, uh, with Stanley. Stanley. Uh, I think this is now my favorite cameo of Stanley <laughs> because he's just like talking to these guys. He's just chatting with them, and they're just like not. I, I don't know. They're not totally engaged with whatever he's reporting to them. Uh, it's really great. Do you like? Do you remember what he was talking about? No, he's like telling them stories with like okay. his comic books is basically what he's telling them. Uh, there's also an interesting thing that I don't know if you caught, but you know how in the end credits, like the background wallpaper of the credits is like everyone dancing. Yeah. One of them is Jeff Goldblum's character from Thor three. No, I didn't catch that at all. I just remember sitting there being like, is that? Jeff Goldblum? And then I thought I made it up. And then the next day, one of my friends was like, did you see Jeff Goldblum? <laughs> and I was like, ah. Oh. So, yeah, I think that's interesting that they, because uh, Thor 3 hasn't come out yet. And uh, there was no Thor 3 uh, in uh, tag scene, which I was disappointed in. But I guess there was a Thor 3 tag in Doctor Strange, so I can't be too disappointed. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, and that's, uh, that's pretty much the whole movie. Um, I, so, my first question before we talk about big picture, how do you feel about this movie? Um, how do you feel about the soundtrack? Uh, I like the soundtrack a lot. I don't like it as much as the first one. Okay, I agree. And some people have disagreed with that. But for me, uh, I actually don't even know how I feel about the soundtrack at all because I didn't recognize a single song. <laughs> so uh, that's the thing is it's not recognizable to me. I like it in that I like that style of that like era of music. But the fact that none of it was stuff I was already familiar with makes it so that it's, it's harder for me to to internalize the way that the first one just immediately connected with me. Yeah, and I thought it was a really le- weird choice for the last song, the one that's on the Zune, when you have the opportunity to pick something like modern and popular that people would know. Like, I know they picked some song that I have no idea what it is called, like, Father and Son, because whatever, that's the whole theme of the movie and they're hitting you over the head with it. But, like... 
I have no idea what that song is at all. At all. Like, and this is a Zune. You could have picked something from, like, you know, 2005 that we all know, you know? like, Or they could have done, like, something from the 90s. They could have done just the two of us. Yeah. Because, you know, anything that's newer than, than uh, Awesome Mix Volume 2. Right. So. And, and I'm with you. I didn't, like, the first, the first movie, I knew those songs independent of the movie. Not all of them, but a lot of them, right? Like, who, who doesn't know the Jackson 5? Who doesn't right. know, uh, you know, uh, Ain't No Mountain High Enough? Like, I, th- these are songs people know. And this one, like, this Brandy song that was, like, a main theme, I've never heard that song in my entire life. Yeah, I, I, I think they really, they should have done something that, you know, what, what would have been hilarious is, is, like, something that would have made someone who looks like Peter Quill roll his eyes in like you know our pop culture at the time but like he really digs it because you know what does he know yeah (laughs) he doesn't have any expectations so you know you could have done like a some you know some pop like teen idol or something like that (laughs) their music and it would have been great you know but they i i do think they botched that a lot although they are opening of course next time we're going to want to know what music they're putting in and they open the door for anything pre-zune um and i I, but that said if it's hundreds of songs are they going to do like a giant spotify and apple music playlist that's just like hundreds of songs instead of selling us a single album that would be because (laughs) i i mean i would buy it i would spend a lot of money on that but marvel are you listening we would buy it (laughs) yeah do like a they should do i mean if nothing else you can have him skipping through songs or something and then the official soundtrack like you know has five discs with the full versions of all those songs or something, you know? <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, you, you know, I guess I, I shouldn't be surprised. We have such similar tastes, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I guess the movie as a whole, now that we've kind of dissected it, you, we both liked it, I think we can say. Yes. But uh, do you have more thoughts on that? Uh, I feel like... I feel slightly less positive about it than I did the first one afterwards. I probably think it holds, I think it hold. it's weird because I don't remember exactly how I felt about the first one, you know? So I think that I feel this holds together as a movie a little bit more than the first one. I agree. But I think I liked the first one more than my initial impression of this. But again, I also like the first movie a lot more now than I did when I first saw it. So I have to give this one time to see how it grows on me. Um, and I expect it will grow on me because some of the funny parts I'll probably just really like watching over and over again. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I agree. This movie holds together a lot better. I think there's a lot less uh, confusion because there's only one villain and there's none of this weird politics of like how are Thanos and Ronin related. And I actually have to like think hard about this. Right. Um, uh, there's no like in the first movie, there's like Thanos, Ronin and Nebula. Right. And this one is right. just ego. It's just ego yeah. and, and the sovereign, but they're like a throwaway, like they're a plot point more than they're uh, a true villain. Right. Well, you um, also have the, the mutineers as well, but, but they're all, but the mutineers and the sovereign are just two position people. They're not they're like the, the only antagonist is ego. Really? Yes. Like he's the bad guy. So I, I think this is a cleaner movie overall. Um, I, I'm not sure I, I like it quite as much. Um, Despite that, uh, probably because there's no Nova in it, let's be honest here. But, <laughs> uh, you know, some of it's the playlist. But Baby Groot is in it, and Baby Groot is adorable. Uh, but I also really love Adult Groot. So, uh, yeah, I, I, 
I, I think it's a cleaner uh, movie than the first one, but the fact that it just fails kind of in its ending message, I think, is a huge uh, black mark in its favor. So against one you, I mean, not in its favor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, one thing I'm curious about, because they didn't decide to do this huge Baby Groot thing until people just fell completely in love with Baby Groot from the end cre- credits, right? Like, that was a thing that changed the shape of this movie, according to, you know, the, the people who made the movie, because they're like, you know, we just realized people really love Baby Groot and we want to make him important, you know? Right. Uh I feel like they're probably not going to do the same thing with Teenage Groot. Agreed. But I think you know, he'll be I don't an adult he'll... by the next one, or at least a young adult. Yeah, and they could just they can make references to his teenage years or whatever if they want to. But I don't think it's important. Like I, I don't I don't need to see him be a teenager in a movie. You know. So uh, what's yeah. what's really interesting to me about an implication of this movie is if this movie takes place in 2014, uh, that means that. The first one took place before 2014. So I guess I'm just kind of wondering, from Thanos' perspective, was he trying to get the orb and the Tesseract at the same time? Like, is the first movie in 2012? You know, like, how, how does this fall in the scheme with the Avengers and kind of the cosmic scale of everything that's going on? And I'm curious about that. I don't know that I need an answer, but I'm definitely like, what has Thanos been doing this whole time? Yeah, the nerd in me wants a timeline, but I also realize it's not necessarily important. Right. You know, yeah. Um, I mean, I would love to know, like, was he distracted by one or the other, which is why he couldn't get, you know, get them, like why he didn't really come with the full brunt of his ability uh, and so on. Well, like, there's, there's a strong argument to be made that in both cases, Thanos was trying to keep himself separate, right? Like, so blame right. doesn't fall back on him. Because for Loki, he sends Loki to Earth to get something from Earth. And ultimately... Loki kind of owns Earth. Like, he's, he's part of the Earth royal family, right? Uh, not right. in the sense that we recognize it, but the Asgardians kind of own us. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of like, what if Prince Harry invaded Canada? You know, like, should he do that? No. But he's still kind of their prince, right? So... Right. Uh, that keeps Thanos out of it and keeps it like Asgard doesn't go to war with Thanos over this. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 is the same situation. You basically have this lone terrorist uh, Kree, right? That the Kree Empire has disavowed. And so instead of having the full force of Nova go to war with Thanos, they're just going to war with this one guy. And so none of the blame really comes back to Thanos. Even though everybody knows it's him, he kind of keeps his nose politically clean so that these good people can't really move against him. So, yeah, he operates kind of like the mafia. Yes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I think that's interesting. It just, the part of the implication, I feel like, is that Thanos had these two moments where he tried to get these two different stones in like 2012 and then what has he been doing since then i i have no idea <laughs> yeah so i i'm curious I, I what what's going on with thanos and i don't think we'll know until the infinity war but yeah i and i wonder how much we will know then you know yeah but um but like you said the timeline too is like how how does this line up with every other movie uh with all the earthbound movies i suppose and um and just what is the order in which all the various stones are united or you know brought into attention because it's gonna 
it's going to get messy at some point because the timelines need to align at some point, right? Right. So, um, so we'll see. And maybe, maybe there'll be a point where like part of a story point is it takes a really t- long time for the, well, I don't think it should take a long time for them to get to earth. Right. Cause they can jump. Yeah. So, um, maybe by the time things actually come to a head, they've been on earth for a while or something, you know, Could that's be. always a possibility. Uh, it gives them, if nothing else, it gives them a lot of options to work with. So, uh, that that single mentioning that it was 2014, the whole point could just be to give them flexibility, right. so they're not bound by weird timelines. So right, and so that the Guardians have been a thing for a long time. By the time they meet up with the Avengers, right? So by the time they meet up with Avengers, they'll be a solid united family, right? Because it's already 2017 in real time. Uh, so uh, kind of implies that their origin of them getting together has already occurred while the Avengers are falling apart. Right. So, right. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, any, any final notes or are we more or less done? I I think we're more or less done. I still love Groot and rocket. Um, once again, I I don't think this movie really forwarded Rocket's storyline as much as it wanted to. Yeah. Uh, so I I think they died character to identify with. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just feel like the messaging they should have taken was Yondu saying, don't be like me, not we're the same. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly like in the end, Quill loves Yondu despite Yondu being terrible. Like that's fine. Right. Because or, good people can love people who are terrible to or, them. You know, what would have been nice is if uh, you have that moment of like Yondu's like, we're the same and Rocket's pretty down. So he agrees. And then at the end, I mean, this would have been kicking Yondu kind of when he's down, but Rocket's like, you know what? We're not the same. I'm better than you. I'm a good father or something like that. You know, like just that acknowledgement that Rocket's actually a better person than Yondu. Yeah. Or if you wanted to, um, you know, if you wanted to actually try and begin to redeem him, you know, like, you know, Yondu could, Yondu could say something like, hey, like, I can't make up for all the, you know, for all the things I've done, but hey you cannot be me, you know, something like that. And it, it's like, a, okay, he still doesn't get redemption, but at least you're starting to see the recognition. Or you know? Yondu saying that, like, you're a better father than I am after seeing oh, that, That's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Yondu's acknowledgement that I thought we were the same, but no, you're better than me. Uh, and that, because that, that's the kind of uplifting Rocket needs, right? He needs someone to believe in him. Uh, and uh, he doesn't really get that from the team right yeah uh he gets it from groot uh and i think that's it's actually i think that's something they didn't fully explore is that it's actually hard for rocket that groot is a baby right uh because groot was his friend his equal uh arguably his moral compass and he's dead and in his stead he now kind of has groot's child uh yeah and, and that that's hard for him and he loves groot but he lost the person who kept him centered so I, I just feel like there could have been a more nuanced story there. I do. I mean, what, something you pointed out there, too, is should we think of this as Groot's child or is it just him with reduced mental capacity? Because so like in the comics, it would be Groot. Um, that's how it works. But the reason why I don't believe this is Groot is because baby Groot will fight you and your mother and not need a reason. <laughs> like baby Groot is feisty. Uh, an adult Groot was like, couldn't hurt a fly. So... Uh, I feel like they're different people. I'm wondering, though, like maybe in the movie version, it could just be levels of maturity. Like, and we'll probably more firmly have the answer 
well, they could give us an answer if they wanted to next time we see him as an adult, because then they can establish, oh, yeah, he has a clear memory of all the previous stuff, right? Uh, and he's just like, he's kind of aged out of this, of that attitude and is back to being super peaceful and, you know, loving and stuff like that. But I don't know. Since he doesn't talk like a normal person, we can't really. Uh, Regardless, just get I, I don't know if Rocket knows if Groot yeah. is Groot or his child. So it's still going to be hard for Rocket. And yeah, I, I just feel like they kind of glossed over this idea of Rocket's pain for this idea that Rocket it needs to, I, I don't know, grow up maybe is the word. But I'm like, Rocket's acting out because he lost his best friend. And nobody seems to be acknowledging that. <laughs> yeah. So from here, where do we see them next? Well, there's no announcement of a volume three right now, right? Right. So it's got to be Infinity War, maybe part two, maybe part one. We we don't really know. Uh, but I, I think Mantis is part of the team now. Uh, so she's someone we'll have to get used to seeing. Uh, and hopefully they'll do something with her. I think Nebula will come back. I think Groot will be grown up in the next one. And thankfully, Yondu will not be in the next one. <laughs> so I'm on board with that. <laughs> yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see uh, if they do show up in the Infinity Wars and how and how they're accepted or not. Um, and uh, especially with Rocket and Groot, right? Because they're very they're very alien types of alien. Uh, so yeah, I'm interested to see where it goes. But, Rocket is very definitely not a raccoon. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, cool. Well, uh, why don't you sign us out then, Mandy? All right. Uh, well, you can follow the podcast at Triv Crucial on Twitter. Uh, and of course, you can get to it at TrivlyCrucial.com. Uh, you can follow Michael at Auhim, uh, A-U-H-I-M on Twitter. And you can follow me at Brown underscore Aja. That's A-J-A-H. Uh, so you can find us on Twitter. We talk a lot there. Uh, so yeah, that's it. Thanks.